Hi, Charles from the future here. Really fast before we start the episode, this episode is about the novel Phasma, and we are going to talk about elements of the ending of the novel Phasma. Uh, there is a like real fast spoiler warning before I immediately jump into it, uh, but I wanted to record something up front to say, if you have not read Phasma and you want to, or if you are in the middle of reading Phasma right now and you don't want the ending spoiled for you, just know that we liked it, we loved it. Bradley thought it was a great exploration of a character he loves. Go read it, then come back and listen to our discussion on this episode. You can listen to the first little bit if you want some news on like what's going to happen with the podcast in a couple of weeks. But as soon as we jump into the discussion, head out, read the book, listen to the book, come on back and listen to us. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and uh, <laughs> welcome back to, to that. Sorry, I'm still processing my, my... I watched Sandman this week. Yes. The, the first season, and my brain just has has melted and dribbled out the side of my head. Do you uh, think Sandman could become our new, like, pre-show Marvel talk, like, when we talk no. about stuff? No, and the problem is because it all dropped on Netflix. It's it's every, it's all there. We can't do it yeah, every week. Yeah, but I'm the kind of person who doesn't watch it all at once, like, because I'm lazy. Oh, how much have you seen? Uh, I just finished the Diner episode last night. Oof. Oh, that so. episode. That episode made me get up and walk away from my computer because <laughs> watching that episode of Sandman wasn't, it was not like watching TV. It was like watching a stage play. Okay, and one no, of the like, for sure was. dark ones that I like, like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Iceman Cometh. Like it felt like the experience of watching that episode was the experience of sitting in a theater watching one of those plays. Like I wasn't expecting to have to deal with that at, two o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever I watch this. It was wild. I mean, we were watching it and I was like, I was like, wow, this scene is going on for a really long time. And then it didn't click honestly until I had to pause it because I had to make like, I guess I was making like a microwave dinner or something. And I just like got up because I was hungry. So I paused the episode and I realized I was like, oh shit, we're halfway through this episode and they're still in this damn diner. And I was like, what is going on? And we're going to be in like... this diner the whole time. Because <laughs> um, it's like a brief scene at the beginning and then it's like the diner the whole time. And yeah, then it like was really odd. The last little but... bit of the, it's in, and She-Hulk is coming. Oh, that's we're, true. We're we going to be talking talk about, about She-Hulk. For those who don't know, what, what Bradley's referencing is that we always talk about whatever Marvel shows on as a warm-up before we get into the Star Wars of it all. So she, She-Hulk is coming, Bradley. You have to acknowledge the Incredible Hulk movie habit. I know that movie sucks, but you have to acknowledge it happened. Well, that's not true. I have to acknowledge a version of that movie happened. The exact movie that we see is non-canon. I do not agree with that movie at all. However, there are certain characters and certain things that happened in that movie that canonically, yes, did happen to the Bruce Banner we do know now in the current Marvel canon. But we just have never seen all those things. I like to imagine a version in my head of that movie where like one, he, Bruce Banner's played by Mark Ruffalo. Uh, two, the love interest 
Liv Tyler's character actually has some fucking agency and does something in the movie. That is a, a scenario that I like to imagine existing. Uh, also one where the movie's plot makes sense uh, and the characters behave like human people. Uh, that is the version of the movie I like to imagine in my head. I'm actually really excited for this show because my roommate hates stuff like this and he watched the trailer with me and he was like, what the fuck is this dumbass Marvel shit? And I was like, this is dumbass Marvel shit that you're going to fucking have to see because I'm going to force you to watch this dumb shit. And it's going to be funny as fuck. I already can tell the show is going to be funny as fuck. Like just from just the ridiculousness of it. Like I just know it's going to be. I love me a good fourth wall break. Oh, yeah. Love me a good fourth wall break. Uh, But speaking of the Sandman, which uh, Gwendolyn Christie was in playing Lucifer. Speaking of, wow, that's a good transition. There's there's a reason I crowbarred our uh, intro into Sandman, because I wanted to segue from Sandman into our topic of conversation today, which is uh, before we get into our topic today, there are two notes that I have to throw out up front regarding some production things around this show. So we'll do the good note first. There's a good note and a bad note. The good note is by the time you hear this episode, I was recently on an episode of Force Friends Rewatch. Uh, Our friend Andy, they have guested on this show before. They were on one of our Book of Boba Fett episodes. They were on the Return of the Mandalorian episode. I was over on their show uh, with their friend Ryan talking about the book Lords of the Sith. It was a fantastic time. We talked about the book. We talked about the state of canon. We talked about the fact that queer people, characters, should be allowed to be messy, complicated characters. It was was a great time. Uh, And also... Took some time to, the little time to shit talk Karen Travis, which is always a good time. Uh, I, I do not like those books very much. But if you want to check out that episode, it is over on the Force Friends Rewatch pod. Definitely check that out. Bad news is I want to talk about our, our upcoming schedule. Because literally right after we recorded Dark Disciple, and I mean the day after, <laughs> it was the next day they announced that Andor is being pushed to September 21st with a three episode premiere and which is throwing our whole fucking schedule off yeah you and I we could have done like a first season of something if we had we, known it was going to be had like we known weeks. they were going to do this we probably could have done a whole we could have fit a whole season like of a rebel like or doing like two episodes an episode, we could have fit a whole thing of Clone Wars season of Clone Wars in, but yeah, we no. could have done something. We could have done something. We could have done something. Yeah. But now we're like flailing like crazy. We had people. like a whole month and a half, two months to do something. Yeah. Like really. It would have been nice to know that, Lucasfilm. Yeah, because it would have think been about nice it. to know that. Had we done like Rebels or something, we could have done like two episodes a week or something and then like filled up the whole entire thing. Like it would have been great. Like it would the problem. The problem with with doing our show, and I envy chronological watch shows. I think First Steps and Dark Side Divas have it figured out because they always know what they're doing the next week. We always have to be like, well, how are we balancing this? Because they're kind of a current event show, but we're kind of also like a TV watch show and like an analytical breakdown show. And the question is like, how do we fill the time with something that's interesting? Right. So here's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks, listeners. So we're doing this episode today. We'll get to what it's about in a second. We are going to record the summer vacation episode. Should come out within the next week or two. It depends really on a major factor, 
which is uh, I have certain real life obligations coming up, being a good citizen, doing my duty to the United States federal court system, uh, not going to explicitly say what I'm doing. Uh, I thought you were going to say the empire. Yeah, doing my duty to the empire. <laughs> to the empire. <laughs> I mean, technically doing my duty to the empire. Right. And what this means is when we looked at the schedule to try to figure out what we do, we realized this falls right in the middle of this time between now and Andor. Depending on whether or not I have to physically come in for multiple days to do my duty to the Empire, we may or may not have episodes. We apologize. I am sorry that I can't give a more concrete schedule leading up to Andor. It mainly is going to be if we have the time to record something between then and now on a week we will record something to put something out otherwise we'll let you know on our twitter uh we'll let you know that that an episode is not coming so thank you for being patient with us the whole way that andor has been kind of scheduled and moved around has been very frustrating for us on the back end Uh, i'm very proud of the rogue one episodes that we did i think that was great and i definitely want to do like a movie breakdown like that again but unfortunately the way that they keep shifting around the release date is really impacting our ability to find things to do. So we will let you know if I get called in to do my duty for the Empire, there won't be an episode that week. But if not, we will try to put something out to to keep filling the time between now and Andor. So that is our slightly serious notes. Bradley, you like Captain Phasma. You know, it was an interesting, possibly great character that i enjoyed um from the sequel trilogy but i mean i'm not gonna throw a parade or anything for my favorite character you you definitely would not walk down uh the middle of disneyland uh flanked by a battalion of stormtroopers for this character this is definitely not a a thing that you would know when when we taught you how to read or more specifically uh you played a masterful long game of being a dick to me by figuring out how to read and then not telling me (laughs) until you had already read several books there was two books there was a couple of books that i really wanted you to read and two of them that we hadn't covered previously on the show were dark disciple which was the asajj ventress novel and the novel Phasma, which is what we are going to be discussing today. Bradley has asked me to real fast summarize uh, the plot of Phasma, because we didn't summarize Dark Disciple, Bradley. Yeah, you know, I let my excitement for Asajj Ventress get the best of me, and we just kind of started rambling on about her, um, and we forgot to just even (laughs) talk about what Dark Disciple was even about. We just assumed that anybody who was listening would just be like, yeah, I already read that book, so it's fine. I don't need an explanation. If you have not read Phasma, Phasma, or you need a refresher on the plot of Phasma. Phasma is a novel about a resistance spy named Vi Marathi who was captured by Cardinal, a red armored First Order captain, uh, who interrogates Vi Marathi on the past and exploits of one Captain Phasma, because Cardinal is attempting to undermine and get Phasma either executed or kicked out of the First Order, the very least demonstrate that she is untrustworthy. So this frames the essentially origin story of Captain Phasma as Phasma escorts an injured Brindle Hux, who I have some things to say about, escorts an injured, well, no, he's not injured, I don't think, but he's crashed. She escorts a crashed Brindle Hux 
uh, to safety through the wastes of Parnassus. Little bit of extra information about the book for you. It was released as part of the Journey to Star Wars The Last Jedi. It was written by Delilah S. Dawson. Delilah S. Dawson's other work for Star Wars includes the direct sequel to Phasma, Galaxy's Edge Black Spire, as well as the Skywalker Saga. She has written uh, several comet as well for the Star Wars Adventures line and a few short stories. The audiobook is read by January Lavoie. January Lavoie has read quite a few Star Wars audiobooks. She's read the audiobook for Bloodline. She's read the audiobook for Daniel Jose Older's Last Shot. Uh, she's read the audiobooks for both Phasma and Galaxy's Edge Black Spire. Uh, and from the Alphabet Squadron trilogy, she has read the audiobook for Victory's Price. Uh, you may also recognize her from the audio drama Dooku Jedi Lost as Jor Aerith. And the High Republic Tempest Runner, for those of you who, like me, have High Republic brain rot, as the character of Tasia. With all of that information in mind, Bradley, what did you think of the novel Phasma? Um... It was actually really cool. Uh, so one of my gripes with the sequel trilogy is that, you know, Phasma was introduced in The Force Awakens. That's a very interesting character in the aspect that you're like, oh, I kind of want to know more about this person. Like, you didn't give me enough. You gave me sprinkles of like their character and like who they are. And I like on the base level, you're like, oh, it's just a lady villain. And that's, that's how Star Wars gets me every time. They're like, here's a basic ass lady villain, but just kidding. She's got way more depth to her. You just didn't know it. And so I think that what the book does is it definitely expands on it because it one, it gives her a fucking past. Like it lets you see who she is and like where she came from and how she's always been this conniving kind of person. And it's great. Uh, I fucking, I love women doing bad things in star wars that's Correct. my favorite thing <laughs> well one of the one of the the big questions that the book kind of seeks to answer and that a lot of media surrounding phasma sought to answer at the time was why does phasma shut down the shield generator on star killer base i think it's a shield generator she shuts down uh why why does she do that you know, shouldn't she like die for the first order cause? Mm -hmm. And there's a deleted scene, which I cannot present this as a 100% fact uh, because I am remembering something that I read somewhere uh, that this deleted scene was kind of what Del Delilah S. Dawson was working off of when she wrote the book. That's an extended version of Phasma's death where like Finn calls her out in front of the troopers mm. and is like, she shut down the Starkiller shields. Uh, she made it vulnerable because she doesn't care about you when the guns to her head she's going to do whatever it takes to survive and then she shoots the stormtroopers right i vaguely know of this yes which is there are very few deleted scenes in movies that i thought should have made it into the movie i understand why that scene was cut i do not agree with the decision to cut it but this book goes into that survival mentality because it also shows you know it both shows where the survival mentality saved her but it also shows how the sort of everybody look out for each other, no one gets left behind mentality, sort of on her home planet, dragged people back and held them back, or at least how she perceived it. That all being said, uh, they should never have killed her in yes. <laughs> The Last Jedi. Uh, no, what actually what I like is that um, I think in interviews, uh, JJ has said that he thought about not having her die. And he was like, well, 
like or he he never was it jj or ryan no i think j i think jj said after the fact he was like one of the shocking things that he found from that movie was that the decision to kill phasma because when he i think when he got the script the the second you know once uh hit it traded hands and he was the second director to get the third movie that he was playing with the idea of trying to finagle bringing her back or something like that. I think he just kind of like was like, no, you know, somehow I mean, Phasma returned. Yeah, somehow she returned, and because he really wanted her. And then I also read somewhere that like there was someone made the decision of showing just her face and not. I think it was Ryan Johnson that said like, if I'm gonna show her, like I'm not gonna show her whole face because the idea of showing like that there's this beautiful woman underneath this like cold exterior is like jarring because she's like a monster, but she's not a monster because she's actually really beautiful underneath. Like, so there was like, there's there's this whole thing. And I was like, all that to say, so you still fucking killed her? (laughs) (laughs) And like, I've said on, I think it was on a previous episode of this podcast, I was like, I could have seen a version of Last Jedi where the character of DJ didn't exist and that Phasma as a more survivalist character could have been finagled in to fill that role in Finn's story. Now it would have, it would have drastically changed the story, but you could have written a version of that plot line where Phasma as a survivor who doesn't really care about the first order or anybody besides herself acts as that foil to right. fit to Rose who is a true believer in the resistance because she's seen what war does to people and she she wants to fight to end it. I think you could have done that with Phasma. They didn't. Right. Uh, or that is to say, Ryan didn't because I like assigning credit slash blame where it's due. And I love that movie, but you could have also done that in a different way. And I think something that this does really well is it dives into that mentality to an extent that the films really don't. And that was a missed opportunity in the film that this book kind of fills in. Because a lot of it, it is sort of Mad Max in space. Yeah, for sure. It's Mad Max for sure, yeah. And the beauty of Mad Max, like, is when you strip away everything around these characters is you get to see who they are and you get to see how much of a survivor phasma actually is and, and i and, i appreciate her for that and it does translate too into the first order uh spoilers for the end of the novel i guess uh she fucking killed brindle hux <laughs> no i've i've read servants of the empire fuck brindle hux Servants of the empire and aftermath i've i've read those fuck brindle hux that guy sucks but I like that she teams up with his son. Armitage. Armitage. I don't know. I always forget his name. Um, so I like the fact that they incorporate Armitage into the story because, you know, his character is also a very interesting one that they they get. It, I think it gets more interesting in Rise of Skywalker, but some people didn't like care for that. I, I think the idea of him being a, essentially a turncoat is kind of very interesting because it's similar themes of this novel with phasma where it's like she's really only after herself it's not a matter of what's right or what's wrong it's like because obviously armitage doesn't care about that right like he's not fighting for the fucking you know the republic he doesn't give a shit about that he's going "Mm, what is my best way to survive and hold on to power and so i think one of the ways he does that is by high is lining himself with phasma in this novel yes and 
I do think now that you mention it, that that makes sense given, you know, what we see in Rise of Skywalker with eventually the direction the character would go, where he's like, you know what? Kylo Ren really sucks. Yeah. I'm willing to throw the whole First Order under the bus because I hate this guy so much because we find out in this book that Phasma killed his dad and he was like completely in on it. And it was like his idea or something. You have me at a slight disadvantage, Bradley, because it has been a hot minute since I've read this book. Right. No. And actually, what's funny is to, so if you, you want to parallel it's it. It's your job to tell me if I'm getting things wrong. No, like the no, injured Brendel Hux thing earlier. No, no, no. I think uh, he was poisoned or something. There's like a... He, there's a I think bit... He, I think there's a bit where they get poisoned. Yeah, or he gets poisoned or something. And then to save him, they have to go to find the First Order or whatever to heal him. Because that's the only way he's going to heal. And then uh, when they finally get to the First Order, he dies anyway because she the beetle infects him or something. Or I think you're thinking him. of a different character. Am I? Oh, is it the brother? What am I it's, thinking of? Uh, I think you're thinking of one of her her traveling companions. I don't know. Like, I, it's been a second for me too. I mean, I've still read it pretty recently, but it's still like a still a smidge. Like there's details that you forget sometimes, but the scarab or something bites one of them and it's poisonous and she holds on to it for like a year and then like, or something. She like keeps one and then like, she Oh yeah, it. she keeps that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's what's good. Yeah, because that's how, that's how they kill him. They kill Brendel Hux. Right. And they're like, how did he die? And they're like, it's, it's a mystery. It's a mystery how he died or whatever. And it's because he died from the, like, it's beetle the beetle. Bite. Yeah. Yeah. It's the beetle. Yeah. Anyway. I, if, if it seems like I'm not remembering like huge chunks of the actual plot is because I'm remembering a lot of the character work that's done on Phasma mm-hmm. and particularly like the relationship between Phasma and her brother where like if they just worked together they could co-lead but they have such radical ideas of what that means and then this is what i i love because she takes they take all the warriors and then he leads everyone to go get them back and they all die and i'm like you could have just stayed where you were you'd have been fine i was gonna say now that you mentioned that too it's like one thing i like about this story like you said it is mad max um in star wars But what I find interesting about this story is that it almost takes place in its own world, almost or galaxy, because it's almost like, wow, why is there so many fucking planets that have to deal with like this kind of shit? Like, if you think about it, there has to be other planets that are dealing with similar issues where like the the environment is so destroyed or whatever that somehow the planet survives. But all the other people in the galaxy are just like, ah, we're just going to avoid that planet and never go back there. And then. It's just an interesting, like, just that setting. Was, that was kind of plot-ish of the Nogri planet in the Thrawn trilogy. I love that twist where it turned out like most of the planet, or ch- like it's only chunks of the planet that have been irradiated. Right, it's only, yeah, one little section, yeah, it's of the one whole little planet. section yeah. of it. And if they just ventured out to any substantial degree, they would have known that. Right. But they didn't. And so... Phasma grows up in what she thinks is this very harsh environment, but it's actually on a planet that's mostly fine. Yeah, it's just got like pockets of like uh, radiation or something. And it's like, oh, yep. I did love that twist. I, I do want to talk briefly about the frame story. Oh, yes. Around OK, it. I do love this framing device that's the chunks that i remember from the book Mm because a lot of the phasma stuff i remember phasma's characterization very well but i couldn't tell you like exactly what happened in linear sequence right the vimerati and cardinal stuff i remember Mm -hmm. because they are such interesting characters and it 
it goes precisely how you would expect those sections to go. What did you what did you think of your introduction to Vimarati and Cardinal? So um, first of all, I like the Cardinal character a lot. Um, I think I love the idea because again, going back to Armitage, it's the same thing. It's just somebody who hates somebody else and is willing to do whatever they can break down that person. So in Armitage's case, Kylo Ren is the person that he wants to fuck over no matter what, right? Like fuck the first order as long as I get Kylo Ren. And then with Cardinal, it's very similar. He's like, fuck Phasma. Like I want to take her down. And I don't honestly, like, he's like, I don't really care about the first order as much as I care about taking down Phasma. And so it, it becomes an obsession for him yeah. to where when we meet him, he's very like regimented. He's very like the first order is great. The first order is bringing order to the galaxy. Yada, yada. And then his hatred for Phasma and the poison that she's spreading in the first order slowly overtakes him to the point it blinds him to the fact that yeah, obviously nobody got where they are in the First Order by acting alone. Obviously Phasma has friends. And it doesn't matter if you prove to them that Phasma is a shitty person. They're all shitty people. Yeah, you can't, <laughs> the entire you can't First fix Order shittiness shitty over shittiness. <laughs> you can't fix fascists. Right. Like, they all suck. Um, one thing I do like, too, is the character, uh, how he he gets his red armor or whatever and he thinks he's special because he got this red armor um and from brendel hux and then brendel hux turns around and gives phasma this super shiny armor and he's like wait a minute i'm the special one why do you have special armor too well he thinks it and then we well, we find out at the end of the book what that armor is actually from right it's which uh, is, his I ship well i won't spoil the exact details but it is made from a ship ship okay it is made from a ship. A ship. Uh, and if you have read the Aftermath trilogy, it's a very interesting ship that it is gotcha. made out of, which you haven't gotten to Aftermath yet. No. I fucking love the character of Vimarati. Yes. I, you love know, her it's funny. I didn't so think I would, much. but I like it. Love her so much. And it's not in this book. It's in the direct sequel, Black Spire, that she confirms that she is ace. She is a member of the LGBT community. Uh, she is one of our decently big ace representations in the Star Wars franchise. She's a face character in the park that you can meet. Which is, is strange, right? Because she's the only character that's from a book that's in the park. Yeah, she's like the resistance person that you can meet that's not Rey or Chewbacca. Uh, you can meet her. So you kind of have, they kind of have like the First Order Stormtrooper meet and greet. When I have historically been there, uh, which I have only recently been when COVID restrictions were starting to come off. But when I was there, the first couple, first couple of times, she was like the resistance character that would come out. And there would also be stormtroopers that would come out and do a little thing. And Kylo Ren, Rey and Chewbacca. Uh, but she's like the resistance character that you can meet. Also, one of our biggest... Uh, one of our biggest black characters most visible because she's i think the yeah she's one of the biggest ones in terms of like you can see her on stuff and at the park she's awesome i love her both as a character and then just like what she represents in general you know being a character who is black and ace and a woman being front and center like this i absolutely love that i do not have her lego minifigure but i want it very very badly <laughs> What I like is the description of her is a female Poe Dameron with an added dash of James Bond. Love her. 
and, and she gets to Indiana Jones it up too in uh, in Black Spire. Nice. She gets um, to go I, in and and explore an old temple. I, I do I do like her. I think she would make a really good addition, especially live action Star Wars. I think she would make a great yes. addition. I think she would yes. work. Put her in things. I love the idea of a resistance member having to be concerned about like a family member because mm. we don't really see that. Kaz in resistance in the first season is not really concerned about reprisals to his family. He's like, oh, my family is rich and on Hosnian Prime and my dad's a senator. So he's not really worried about them. Season two, we got kind of hints that maybe he should be concerned about them. But unfortunately, Resistance ended after two seasons. So that never got to pay off, actually. But Vi is actively, like, concerned about, I think it's her brother. Are you double-checking my work? Yeah, I'm, look- I'm looking. I just to see. Uh, it says that her brother was an intern for the New Republic Senate on Hosnian Prime. So... That's interesting. Because Hosnian Prime, that's the that's the the new home of the Senate or whatever. In, yeah, that's the one that gets blown up. That gets blown up. Okay. And wasn't there a cut scene too in Force Awakens or something where they showed Hosnian Prime? No, no. Or there's cuts. So there's cut scenes where Leia sends her like assistant to go right. to Hosnian Prime. And those scenes were repurposed for uh Rise of Skywalker. But as far as no, we we don't see. But I love the idea of like yeah, like Bako Bako Marathi is the character's name. I love the idea that you know Cardinal can use the brother against her. That that's something she has to be concerned about as a resistance operative. I think that's an interesting dimension to the character and an interesting raising of the stakes for the character. An even more interesting uh, addition to that character is that. Uh, he was Vi's sole living relative, was a dignitary who'd been stationed on Pantora with his husband. Wait, the fuck? That's what it says on Wikipedia. Oh my God, is it a primary source? It's in Black Star. How the fuck did I miss this? How did you miss this? How the <laughs> fuck did I miss this? How did you miss another oh game? Oh my Star God. Wars? Damn. Oh my God, Baco Marathi has a husband. How did I not know that? Damn. Oh my God. You're a bad Star Wars guy. I I I have just I have discovered another <laughs> yet another queer character. Thank you, Star Delilah Wars. S. Dawson. Check mark for the gays. We won yep. yet again. We have won yet again. So yeah, both Marathis are Marathis. are part of the LGBT community. That is awesome. Love that. Yeah, and he was on Pantora, looks like. Well, during I the love events that, of uh, I love that they're both LGBT. Yes. Um love that. <laughs> I know but, you um, did say, Bradley, but before we wrapped up, uh, you did say that that you had a particularly exciting fan cast for her that you wanted to run by me. Yeah, so you know, like I said, like I say, with all these books that we keep doing, I love doing a little, what if they made this a TV show? I have two things for this. One, I'll give you my fan casting. And two, I want to ask your opinion. Actually, here, I'll ask your opinion first before I do the fan casting, because the fan casting will be quick. Okay. For my question about the sh- if it was a show, would you keep the framing aspect or would you modify the framing aspect? 100% I would keep the framing aspect because the framing aspect is as much a part of the story as the meat of the story itself. It's, it's if you read Frankenstein, mm-hmm. uh, I'm about to, to go over into my lit nerd territory. Uh, shout out Star Wars English class. If you read Frankenstein, the story of Robert Walden in the framing device, who is 
the sea captain who is trying to chart a course through the Arctic and he runs across Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein, and later the monster, and is meant to be a mirror to Victor Frankenstein. And we are seeing the same things of unrelentingly pressing forward with scientific advancement to the detriment of the people around you because you're not doing it in an ethical way and you're not doing it with regard for life. In Walden, as we see in Victor Frankenstein, Walden ultimately makes the decision to turn around, like turn the ship around and not go after what he was going after because it's putting people in unreasonable danger. And I think that the book Phasma works the same way. So the way I would do it is I would keep the framing device. I would put it at the beginning and end of every episode. I think so. I think it would work because you could you could have the beginning always be like, he's a, he's torturing her. He's like interrogating her, whatever it is. Um, and then throughout the story, we were just watching the flashbacks. And then- right. The maybe, flashbacks in maybe, the meat of each episode. Right. Or maybe even like in the flashbacks, you could have them interrupt the story a little bit and be like, wait, I thought you said this, or I thought you said that, or something. You know what I mean? But not like if, switch back to them. It would just keep going with their voiceover. If you listeners have played Dragon Age 2, uh, which I think is an underrated Dragon Age game. So the premise of Dragon Age 2 is it's the same thing. There's a character, Varric Tethris, who's been grabbed by uh, basically the Secrets of Truth, which is like an inquisitorial arm of the Chantry. And he's thrown into a chair and he's being interrogated about the events of the past seven years, which is ironic given that it is the shortest game. But Varric will tell versions of the story and Cassandra, who's speaking to him, will cut in to be like, you are a lying little shit. Mm. And that is not what happened. Well, so but think, on this way, you, you, she's only telling one story. <laughs> yeah, if I were adapting it, I might flesh it out. Yeah. Particularly like have instances where maybe Vimorati isn't telling the truth in order to make a point or okay. needs to amend something earlier that she said. It could be interesting to play with in a more lengthy television format. But then also I think the Mad Max elements of it where they're journeying between different different areas lends itself very well to an episodic format because you know each episode or two is it's a different area yeah. of Parnassus and you really could dive into the subtle clues of what happened to the planet. And true, I think it would also episodically it would work in the sense that it would be like, okay, here's the section where they're dealing with the other tribe. Here's the section where they're going into the bunker with the robots. Here's the section they're going, you know what I mean? Like it's clearly like it's segmented in a way, like when she tells the story. So I think that it works really well in that aspect in episodic form. I think it would work really well if there'd be like a beginning, a middle end to every kind of story she's telling each day. Um, You could could very easily adapt this to television. Oh yeah, it would would work so well. That being said, the person who I would have as the narrator slash Vimarati character, I was, funny enough, I was watching, my roommate likes to rewatch this stupid ass show called The Handmaid's Tale all the time. And uh, I would You think The Handmaid's Tale is a stupid ass show? (laughs) Um, No, I just think that it's too close to reality so i don't like watching yeah i can't watch it for the same reason i don't like watching it for that reason i've i've lived in fundamentalist christian environments i i can't watch handmaid i don't i don't like it because i think that it's too like it's too close to actually being able to happen and i don't like that but aside from that point from a very popular character on the show and also on orange is the new black is uh samira wiley i think she would do a good job of doing um you might have to look her up real quick if you don't if you're not uh, i just googled her real i know who she is but i had to google her real fast mm-hmm. oh yeah 100 percent. 
Yeah, I think she would do a good job because she's kind of got a little bit of that sassy slash comedy aspect. Yeah, yeah, I feel like she could do that, but she can also do the really serious hardcore stuff if she needed to. So I and, like that. And uh, she is, yeah, she is LGBT. That's just a that, bonus. That's yeah. also a, a nice bonus that we I have may an LGBT or may not have portrayed by an LGBT actress. You know, I I just have that. Sometimes, uh, you know, you just have to cast actual LGBTQ people as LGBTQ roles. Yeah, I don't know. Wouldn't Sorry. Wouldn't that be nice? Right. Wouldn't that be nice if, right. if we could get that? Not that I'm saying that I didn't enjoy Love, Victor, but right. I'm just saying it would have been improved if they might have consulted one or two gay people, like, or, or just one, or maybe like cast one to, to visibly... Yeah lead your show that would have been really nice actually right. i'm just saying all righty well i guess that's gonna wrap up our discussion of phasma summer vacation is coming at some point either next week or the week after a lot of it is going to depend on my dedication to the empire and how much my emperor commands have made down at the Yikes. united states federal courthouse uh where i have to go United do my... States Federal uh, Star Destroyer House. Yep. <laughs> head to the head to the Imperial Federal Court Center. Right. Uh, to do my depending on how that goes will depend on the frequency of episodes for the next few weeks. But we are angling in on a plan on on Andor, and based on what we're hearing to the screeners, Bradley, I am real excited to make you suffer through Andor. I can't wait. Go ahead and run the socials. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at goldsquadgaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at goldsquadrongaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at goldsquadrongaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. Sound, sound, soundy, soundy, sound, sound. Sounds good to me. Apparently, Steph does vocal warm-ups before they record the the Divas episode, and Chris does not, so that was my equivalent of doing a vocal warm-up. Oh, gotcha. It's like...